Well, good morning, everyone. As Mark said, uh, my name is Scott Davidson, and our family's been here, uh, not from the beginning, for about two and a half years, and it really has been a privilege to get to know so many of you and to worship with those with a real heart to uh, reach out into our local community. That's one of the things that that drew us to this church. So uh, you'll uh, hopefully get a chance to meet our family if we haven't met you already. I've got, uh, I have eight children and uh, they're probably still sleeping right now. They'll come to the second service, I hope. And, but I got my wife back here, Andy. And so last week, listening to uh, Mark's story about his missionary adventure with an elephant. How many heard the story of the, the missionary story with the elephant? So, so I, I have a missionary story as well, and, and mine's way better than his. <laughs> so I, I'm going to tell you, really, you trust, trust me on this one. So Mark mentioned that, that we had been in Afghanistan. So I met Andy when I was about 16 years old. She was about 15 years old, and up in high school, up in Evergreen, and uh, what drew me to her was her sense of adventure and the desire to minister and to go worldwide. And that was something that the Lord had put on my heart since I had only been a Christian for a few years at that point, a couple of years at that point. And so in 2002, not six months after 9-11, uh, the Lord opened a door for my wife and I to go to Afghanistan. There were ministry opportunities there that had not been there before. You didn't just go get a tourist visa to go to Afghanistan. I didn't even know where it was before that, really. Uh, But God opened a door, and we, to make a long story short, we found our way out there. And and I got to tell you, it was an eye-opening experience. We had been, both Andy and I, to other countries before, but nothing was to prepare us for this. Even the airline. How many have heard of Ariana Airlines? So not, a couple of you heard Ariana Airlines. You don't get frequent flyer miles on Ariana Airlines. So just to give you a little sense of what it was like, when we flew in to Afghanistan, we're in a very small airplane with uh, men without shirts on. There, were no, there was no air conditioning on the plane. It was hot. So we have two kids at this point. So we have our two little kids, Talitha and Asher. Very, very small. Asher was just, uh, just walking, just a toddler. Uh, Tally was two years old. And uh, so we get there. And as we're flying into the airport, you can see on each side of the plane, down right as you're getting close to the runway, there are broken up airplanes on each side of the runway. We're seeing this. They didn't even move them out of the way. So we get and we land and all of a sudden uproarious clapping and cheering goes. People are hugging each other. I thought, wait, does this not normally happen? (laughs) When we landed and then we drive past all those busted up airplanes on our way to our beginning of our adventure. So Afghanistan was a, it was a difficult place. It was a dark place. It was, you know, I told people when we got back that being a Christian in America felt a lot easier than being a Christian in Afghanistan. There, was, there really was an oppressive spirit about the place. But one of the things I, I remember that, uh, that I'll never forget was uh, we got there almost exactly a year after 9-11. And Tally's birthday... Her three-year-old birthday was going to be November 22nd. So we're there for a couple of months. Andy can't even leave at the house without a male escort 
uh, I'm going out doing the grocery shopping, and every day you're shopping, and I'm trying to think of something fun to do for Tally's birthday in a place that was so dark and so uh, difficult, and one day I'm walking through the streets. It was that day. It was her birthday, and I'm thinking, what can we get Tally? So if you could put that first picture on. Uh, I'm walking down the street, and I see balloons, and I had never seen anything colorful yet. It was, it was amazing. I got so excited that, and I'm only a few blocks from the house, and I go and I grab, you know, not all of those balloons. I grab uh, about a third of those balloons, as many as I could, uh, and I'm walking down, just walking on sunshine. I was so excited. I was going to have something colorful to give to Tally for her birthday. Uh, someone had made her a pie. All our other teammates were excited to have a, something to celebrate, and I get halfway home, and there's a bunch of little boys You know, 10, 11, 12-year-old boys start circling me with their bikes. And I thought, oh, hello. I learned my two or three words, salam alaikum. And and I'm I'm, I'm trying to, you know, be excited and happy. And and all of a sudden, the boy, I realized this gang that's going around me is like a gang. And... And one of the boys comes and grabs the, the, the balloons out of my hand. I didn't expect it. Grabs these balloons out of my hands. And something just came over me. I go over and I push this kid off his bike. And I grab my balloons and we go have a nice birthday with our daughter that night. <clears throat> that story didn't make it in my next support newsletter. Uh, but really, I... Something was in me, inside of me, that I never had any idea could be there. We were there to minister to these people. And all of a sudden, something so awful came out from within me because of what was there, what I had expected, what I wanted. And, and it really told me something. It taught me a lot while I was there. And so... The question arose, and this is the question I have for you as well, is why do you do what you do? Why did I do what I did? What is that thing deep inside of me that I didn't know was there or I didn't like? I thought I was way better than this. We were like the missionaries. We were the ones. And I remember going to the internet cafe because we didn't have email at our place. We had to take a taxi just to get our email. That was our lifeline to the, to the world back home. And reading email after email the following days. Scott and Andy, you guys are our heroes. You're going to Afghanistan. You're doing the hard thing. And I just felt so shameful that, oh, wow, what is that, that thing within me? So the passage that we're going to go through today is going to get, I think, to the heart of that. To try to figure out what is it. I mean, even here, you don't have to be in Afghanistan to realize that there's hidden realities within you, hidden from you, hidden from others, hidden from yourself even. And, and I think Jesus tries to get us to that place. So I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through Matthew chapter 15. So if, if you would get to Matthew chapter 15, I'm going to read the first 20 verses um, and, then, and then we'll go through it a little bit. But I want to see if you can try to get an idea of where Jesus is going as he speaks to the Pharisees, as he speaks to the people, and then as he speaks to his disciples. So Matthew chapter 15 uh, says this, then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God? 
because of your tradition. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you who say, but you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And they defile a man, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So, so what's our problem? You know, theologians called it total depravity. That reality that if you are a child of Adam and Eve, which happens to be all of us, that you will have sin just right from the get-go. You don't have to commit a sin to have sin. You have it as part of your nature. So total depravity didn't mean that you're as bad as you could be in every area of your life, but that every area of your life was touched. It was stained. It, It was influenced by sin. And so that's why you, you, you look at all around you. You have some problems, you have some sins, and other people have others. We're not all exactly the same, but what we are exactly the same is in the reality that, that we are in total affected by sin. Another way to look at it is something that Andy showed me a number of years ago that I thought was a helpful way to look at yourself. If you put up the screen with a grid, uh, I don't know if any of you have heard of the Johari window. So the Johari window tells us a lot about ourselves. Uh, what we know, what we don't know. So if you look at this, really simply, there's the open area. These are the things known uh, uh, to yourself, and these are things that are known to others. You know, then we go down, you've got things that are known to you but not known to others. These are the things you have, you know, but they're hidden. These are sins, sins done against you. These are deep down, and you keep them to yourself. And then you go up to the upper right, you've got the blind spots, things that are not known to self, but are known by others. The other night at dinner, Andy thought it was important to, to say, you know, kids, don't you notice how Papa does this thing with his lips when he gets upset? And, and I thought, I don't do anything with my lips. And, 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 and Noel said, yeah, yeah, you do that, Papa, you know. And I, thought, well, I guess I must do that. And, and there are just things in your life that you just have no idea and it might be a silly, goofy thing, or it might be a pretty serious habit that's destructive and hurts other people. And, 
And that's a blind spot. We call them a blind spot for a reason. You are blind to them. And then there's the the bottom right area. There's the unknown areas. These are the deep waters. These are the things that others don't know about you and you don't even know about you. Of course, the goal in life is to make that unknown spot very, very small. Of course, the unknown spot's known by God. He made you, he knows you. But, but your goal in life is to make the open spot big, the unknown spot small. And of course, the blind spots and the hidden spots, you want those to decrease as well. Uh, you can take that down. Uh, but probably the best way that helped me to recognize as a Christian, as I grew as a Christian, at first I got really excited. I wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. But then as time went on, as I grew in my faith, you know, they often say that, 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 that most people share the gospel in an evangelistic way only for about the first couple of years of their faith. And then, they, and then it tends to drift. They, they often lose. That's why they have an entire passage in Scripture in Revelation when, uh, when and, you know, John is telling one of the churches to, to not forget their first love. We have a tendency to drift, to wander, and, and that's, that's in me, that's in you. But one of the best ways that, that someone helped me understand sin in my life, those dark and hidden places, was the difference between reigning sin and remaining sin. When you're not a Christian, sin reigns in your life. It has complete control. When you are a Christian, you are forgiven of 100% of the sins you committed. But guess what? It's, he doesn't take it away entirely. He doesn't take away those temptations. He doesn't take away those challenges and those tests in our life. So guess what? We sin again. And so we are in a constant path. But there is a difference. We have remaining sin. And that's important for us to to remember. So going back into this passage, now I'm going to go through it a little bit piece by piece. It was important to read the whole passage. While I really want to only focus on the end of that passage, I think it's important to see what Jesus was trying to to get us to understand in the first portion. When you go to the first part of Matthew 15, he he right away talks about the, the scribes and the Pharisees coming from Jerusalem. Now keep in mind, this was out in the Galilean area. This is a rural area for the Pharisees to go out there. It was kind of a bigger deal. From what I understand, that was... You know, these were the bigwigs. And often we hear and grow up in church thinking of the Pharisees and the Sadducees or the bad guys. You know, they're like the Nazis. You know, they're the worst. You know, we, they, they couldn't do anything right. Jesus was always getting in arguments with them. But if you think about it, the regular average person there saw the Pharisees really as, a, as the godly ones. They saw them as the ones that really understand. They, they invested their entire life working on understanding the law. And not only that, the, the traditions that came out of them. So as I read this, it says that they, they go to Jesus in verse 2 and say, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. It's interesting that Jesus, as per his custom, doesn't answer them at all uh, about that specific question. He immediately goes right to um, coming back at them. He, he offends them. He, he says, why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Now, 
obviously there were about 600 and something laws in the Old Testament. The Pharisees' job was to read through all of those, to know those, and to, and to create applications. That's fair, right? Not everything was, not every exhaustive activity was discussed. So they did have to come up with some, we do this too. We have to understand what does modesty mean? What does honesty mean? Uh, you know, we make applications when we read the Ten Commandments. Well, the Pharisees did the same thing, but what ended up happening is they took a lot of these traditions and they superimposed them such, in such a way that they completely violated God's commands. And he goes over this when he talks about this next section. He, he says, here, you, you, know, you, you say, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you say, honor your father and mother, and he who curses his father and mother, let him be put to death. That's true. That's directly from the Old Testament. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. So, so what's going on there? Without going into that great detail about what was going on, basically they had taken a tradition whereby you could make a vow to give money to the temple, and if you made that vow, that actually could supersede the honor father and mother. One of the key applications in that community was you took care of your elderly parents when they had a need, but yet they allowed, through a sleight of hand, that if you gave some money to the temple, that money could be used instead of using it to care for your parents. They called it korban. Mark chapter 7 goes into this in, a, in greater detail. But to, to move on, I mean, my point is just to get to the fact that they were missing the point. They thought if they lived out all of these traditions that they would be okay. They'd be clean, basically. This cleanliness was important to them. And he, and he just says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then he just goes right to the people. He walks away from the Pharisees, calls the people to them, and says, look, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles man, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles. This is what defiles the man. And... I think what's important about the cleansing, we often think of literally cleaning your hands. That's not what that command was about. Incidentally, the, the commands about washing of hands and feet are, uh, really were only given to the priests when they went in to serve at the temple. This wasn't a command to all people before they ate. If you look through into the Old Testament, you'll see that in Exodus and Leviticus about the, the commands about washing of hands. But the, the Pharisees had extended that tradition to everybody. And what it became was sort of a thin veneer of following God. And I guess my question is, do we do that today? We're different. We have fewer traditions in in our American culture. But that doesn't mean we can't think that our outside behavior is going to be more important than than what's on the inside. You know, And, and Jesus, I mean, he just gets right to it. He offends. Now, he offends the Pharisees. And, and he offends us. And this is what, what I've realized is that, you know, Jesus completely doubles down on the Pharisees. And frankly, at times, Jesus is very unchristlike. you know. <laughs> he just gets right in there and doesn't seem to care what they think at times. But obviously, we now know Jesus does that to help us, not to hurt us, to heal us, not to destroy us. And you laugh because you know that it's true that the doctor has to cut sometimes to heal. The nurse has to poke sometimes to heal. And that's what Jesus was all about. Now, incidentally, he goes to the Pharisees and he describes them. Or when he's talking to the people, he describes them as weeds. Just a few weeks ago, we heard about that, about the weeds, the parable of the weeds and the wheat. And how Jesus said, no, let's, 
Let's let the, has the farmer say, let's leave the weeds there. They'll be pulled up in, in due time. And that's the life we live. We're in the midst of the weeds and the, and the wheat. We're amidst voices like the Pharisees that want us to forget our first love or what's from the heart. Uh, so he goes on to the people and he uses the illustration just to make it clear uh, in, in verse 14 or in verse... Uh, Sorry, in verse 17, he says, do you not yet understand, now just talking to his disciples, uh, that, that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? Basic biology, he's helping them recognize. Now, again, keep in mind, people like Peter and the disciples, they, they, their whole life was uh, surrounded by those kinds of traditions. So it wasn't so easily forgotten. We hear that and go, yeah, of course, it's, it's, what's, it's, it's inside that counts. But for them, there were a lot of external traditions that they followed. Um, and the reality, what I walked away in reading this is that Jesus always went for the heart. He was always going for what was within and which of course doesn't mean that, I mean, honestly, traditions would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be a lot better if you just had to jump through a bunch of hoops and follow a bunch of traditions so that you'd be clean. Jesus makes it much, much more difficult He says, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Essentially what we hear in the Ten Commandments. He makes it as hard as possible. You think, well, then who can be saved? Those are things that come out of me all the time. That's what came out of me when I pushed a little boy down in Afghanistan. Where did that come from? There was something within me that was still there. I I love Jesus, but why do I do what I don't want to do? So the real question for us today is, will we, will we respond to this whole thing as Pharisees or as disciples? Clearly, we get the, the curtain pulled back, and Jesus says that the Pharisees, at least with a few exceptions, were not of this kingdom. And, and, and the series we're going through is about the king and his kingdom. We need to know where we fit uh, as, as people within the kingdom. Uh, Jesus aim is the heart. It's, it's the hidden parts. That Johari window that I showed you, you really, you, you need to ask that question. What, what am I hiding? What's hidden from me? That, that's essential to, to walk in the Christian life. So a couple of weeks ago, Ryan preached about John the Baptist and the suffering. And one of the, what I got out of that was that suffering shakes you. Suffering shows you what's really uh, inside of you. And so certainly I couldn't say that a 10-year-old boy who stole balloons out of my hand was really much suffering uh, at all. But certainly suffering, persecution, conflicts. We live a fairly persecution-free life here in America. Uh, and yet any one of you probably could agree that, man, there's still stuff that pushes me, that bumps me. And whatever's in me is going to spill out like a glass of water. Uh, but Ryan showed us that the suffering reveals what's with inside. Uh, and then Mark, last week, talked to us about the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus stepping out of the water. He said, bring what you got. Bring him what you got, the fish and the loaves. And then step out and, and walk on water, the story of the walking on water. But the thing that reminded me, uh, that, that hit me last week that Mark said, I want to quote. He said, but what if you can't see what you got? Because sin is blocking Christ so you can't see him or deafening him so that you can't hear. The progression of these passages are bringing us to the really important part of our life. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, this is the important question. 
So now what's the solution? Now what do we do? You know, now what? what is, why does this matter? Because there's a king, and he has a kingdom, and we are to orient ourselves to him and his ways as we go through this, this journey. I mean, isn't that what we've been hearing for the last several months as we've been going through Matthew? Where do we fit within this kingdom? Do you want in? And then now once you're in, do you want to do it well? We're a people called by his name. Davidsons act a certain way because they're Davidsons. Oshmans act a certain way because they're Oshmans. You have a certain DNA about you uh, in your personality and your behavior. It's no different in the kingdom of God. We're a people called by his name and we want to act like it. So, you know, the reality is this, this isn't that complicated. We need to call a spade a spade. We need to admit that there's sin or hurt within us. We need to confess it. We need to be willing to uh, deal with it and not deceive ourselves. That's, I think, where the, what the problem was for the Pharisees. They were in complete deception. And again, only a couple I'm aware of really made any kind of a decision, like Nicodemus, to recognize the deep need that he had to be in the kingdom. Uh, so, so let me read these sins. In verse 19, he says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. You might be thinking, well, I haven't done any of those things. Or at least the first few. <laughs> but you look at that, you say, okay, uh, evil thoughts, murders, well, murders. Well, you know what? Maybe I haven't murdered somebody, but did I push a kid down? Did I say something unkind to my wife? Did I fight with my little brother, my little sister? You know, there are derivatives that go deep on each one of these sins. Do I do any of those things? Adulteries, fornications. Well, I haven't done that. Well, but do I, do I look at porn online? Do I let my imagination get away from me and, and not attack that? What about thefts, false witness, blasphemies? You know, blasphemy is interestingly at the end. I mean, that was a huge part of their life. They'd stone people for blasphemy. And that was essentially taking the Lord's name in vain, not saying the name Jesus, but committing to do something or not do something and and putting Jesus' name behind it. They were basically giving a completely false testimony on behalf of God. How many of us do that on our social media? We present an entirely different and inaccurate picture of who we are, what we want to be, and... And it's not really what's inside of us. I mean, frankly, I don't think social media is for the inside of us either. Uh, But just saying, if the shoe fits, you know, recognize that, that that there's sin in us. Now, there's a couple things that I want to remember here. Not all of this is your sins that, that come out of you. Some of this is, it has to do with sin that's been done against you. I don't want to be blind to the reality. And the last thing I want is to have anybody walk away from here in shame. Because again, sin doesn't reign. Christian, sin doesn't reign in your life. Uh, but some of you are walking around having been mortally wounded on the inside. Awful, terrible sins done against you from your childhood or recently. And frankly, that comes out of you as well. Like you say, you know, like, like the Johari window shows you, there are, are things hidden from yourself that you have no idea and from other people. Those are the deep waters. And that's when you say, why do I do? Why am I like this? Why do I get angry? 
I know it's coming from others. You don't have to convince me. Yep, there's something inside there. Why do I do that? So whether it's sins you commit, sins done against you, those things will want to find their way out. And that's what makes you unclean is what the passage says. You know, but the, the good news is, is you don't have to be, you don't have to destroy yourself. You don't have to say, I'm a dog, I'm a worm, I'm horrible, like Donald Trump's on your shoulder, you know? You, you, don't, have to, you don't have to do that. that you, don't, you, you might say, that guy over there who's not even a Christian, he doesn't sin as, as, as much as I do. But you know what? That's not the point. This is not how this works. When you believe that Jesus saved you from your sins, that's when transformation begins. So the point is not the whole idea is not how can I get my sins down to zero? You're not trying to empty your life of sin. I mean, I'd like to empty my life of sin, but that's not the point. And a lot of Christians have a false understanding of what, that, of what the, you know, the Christian life looks like. If I can just get my sins down to nothing, then and we can't help ourselves. We say, but this, the scale of no sins versus sins will be completely different. And you know, my good works will outweigh my bad works. That's how I was till I was 16 years old. Growing up in the church I grew up in, that was the message that I got. That was a spoken message, but that was wrong. And the reality is you will never stop having remaining sin. It will always be in you. And that's not to be there to discourage you because we have the hope that one day it will be gone, that one day we'll be completely clean, cleansed. And you know what? Jesus, he's already done it. He's already, I mean, it's inter- interesting that, that there's the message about the cleaning of the hands because I think one of ul- Jesus' ultimate messages is you're already clean. Now, yeah, we might dirty ourselves up day by day, but you're already clean. He can't love you anymore. He can't look at you uh, any more perfectly if you're clothed with Christ. That's the thing we often forget. When Jesus looks at me, pushing that kid down, he sees Jesus. Now, I don't think Jesus is pushing the kid down. That was that remaining sin that was within me that I had to confess, that I had to deal with. But Jesus sees me as perfect. Now, for those who may be here right now who aren't, who don't follow Jesus, who've never heard of Jesus, there was a time in my life that I didn't know who this guy was. I recognized his face in the wall like, like he was the king or the president. I recognized his face, but I didn't really know who he was. And, and then someone pointed out that reality. You know, Scott, you can be forgiven of your sins this day. I mean, how's that working for you? You who don't follow Jesus or believe in Jesus, that, that reigning sin, again, doesn't mean you're as bad as you can be either. But it does control you. And my guess is you don't want that life. You don't want to live like that. And I, you don't have to. In one moment, with very little intellectual understanding, I sat down on a couch, July 30th, 1991, with an elderly gentleman who said, Scott, would you like to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life and have him forgive you of your sins? I did not get entirely what that meant. But I said, sure. Why now, why did I say that? I didn't even know what the word sin meant. I learned over time. But I did that. God was working in my heart. Maybe God's working in some of your hearts today. For those who may not know Christ, it's not complicated. It, it is not your great hard work that are gonna, it's going to make you clean. Jesus already did that. And we need to recognize that you can live a life where Jesus reigns. Sin remains, 
and sin doesn't have to reign in your life. So if we can put this last verse up, uh, Zoe. 1 John 5, or 1 John 1, verses 5 through 9 says this. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's beautiful that it's a picture of cleansing. That's what we find in this passage. The Pharisees got it completely wrong. Again, it sure would be easier, it would seem, to just wash your hands a lot and to follow all of these these traditions that they thought were so godly and holy and religious. But that's not what gets us there. Jesus was always going for the heart. But like I said, there, there are hidden areas of our heart. And so how do we deal with that? As a, as a gospel culture, as a gospel community in Parker, these, the people you look around you and, and see day to day, week to week in your gospel communities, in your core groups, uh, this is the opportunity that you have to be free of, of this sin. Not be free that you'll never sin again, but free from the power of it, free from the effect of it, free from the shame of it. Because I'm tired of that. I don't want that. And I don't think any of you want it. So going forward this week, when you go to your gospel community, whether it's physical meeting or online, whether you go to a core group and you meet with those two or three other people and you confess and you, you lay that out, that's how we do it. It's not mystical and magical and a, a gushy feeling. In fact, it's sometimes very painful, physically sometimes, for us to share those things that either were done to us and are sin perpetrated against us or sin that just, that is in us that we hate. All of that's available to us. Like I said, it's not a, it's not a magical moment. It's a, it's just a real day by day. He gave us the access to it. It's not only the special Christians that get to do that, but Christians can do it. It's Christians that can go to God and that can be free and can go to one another and live a life that they're not constantly dragging those past sins and hurts uh, behind them. And, and I gotta trust that God is bigger and he can overcome my sin. That little boy, little Ahmed or Talib or whatever his name was that I pushed down in Afghanistan, I hope that he's met the Lord in one way or another and I, I gotta trust that, that God loves that kid better, more than I ever could. So let's pray uh, and let's be honest about what's in our heart. Father in heaven, I thank you that you are good and that uh, while we often don't think we're good, we are very much so in your sight, not because of the things we have done, but because you chose us and because you love us and because you have cleansed us already. You've already done the work. And I pray that for those here who haven't experienced the work of cleansing that is available at this very moment, I pray that you would turn their hearts to you and that they would be honest and that they would take that step forward, though they didn't understand it all, just like I didn't. Uh, And I thank you for the journey that you take us on as Christians. For those of us that feel like, wow, I've been a Christian for so long, but I I mess up so often. 
God, I pray that that we would not walk in shame, we would not walk in hurt, that we would allow you to reign. We would realize the truth and the reality that, that, that you've done the work already. So God, we thank you. And I pray you take us through this week with just a weight off of our backs, with true freedom and with the ability to confess our sins to you and daily receive that constant and regular and refreshing cleaning that comes from Christ. You are good and you are God. And let us uh, bow before you as our king. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.